Today, we continue our sermon series for Epiphany, Let It Shine, where we are exploring how Jesus shines the light of God and the gospel, and how we as his disciples are called to shine this light in our lives and in the world. Last week, we explored how Jesus was rejected in his hometown for shining the light of a God who is always greater and more loving than our own preconceptions. Today, we continue on in Luke's gospel as we go to the lakeshore when Jesus calls his first disciples. I invite you now to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the fifth chapter of Luke, beginning with the first verse. Once, while Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long and have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And then they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken, And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. I've shared with you before about my grandfather, who with my grandma had eight kids on a small dairy farm in central Michigan. Those eight kids blessed him with close to 30 grandchildren. And something all of us as as the grandchildren, something all of us share in common, is that our grandfather at one point taught us how to fish as young children. Well, he taught us how to fish, but we also have something else in common from that experience, too. In the process of teaching us all how to fish, all of us at some point caught him with the hook. For me, it was when I was five years old and I was learning to cast, and I'm not much of a fisherman to be honest, but when I was reaching back for the cast, as you can imagine a young child would, the hook caught my grandfather's hat and sent it sailing out into the lake. So my grandpa taught all of us how to fish for fish, but unintentionally he also taught us how to catch people. Today in our gospel reading, we meet Jesus, who meets some fishermen, and they're standing by the shore of the lake Gennesaret, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee. And this happens as he calls his first disciples, these, these three fishermen in Luke. This story also occurs in Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel. Their accounts of the story, Mark and Matthew's accounts, are virtually identical and much shorter. Luke's version, though, of the story is expanded. It goes into much more depth in Jesus calling these first disciples. 
which in turn, I think, offers us much to reflect upon in our common calling as disciples today. So the story opens with Jesus by the lake and the crowd pressing in on him. They're desperate to hear the word of God. So Jesus asked Simon, soon to be named Peter, to put him in the boat so he can teach the pressing crowd from the water. Simon obliges, and after Jesus' teaching, he has yet another request of his soon-to-be disciple, saying, go out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. There are a couple of obvious problems with this request. The first one, Simon says himself, Master, we've worked all night long but have caught nothing. Simon and his crew are tired. They're defeated. They're on the shore cleaning their nets. They're calling it quits after a long and unsuccessful night. Now this teacher, or master as Simon calls him, asks them to try again. But even more so, he asks them to go into the deep water for this attempt. The deep water is known to be where fishing was a riskier practice. The likelihood of losing or breaking an expensive net became that much higher. Jesus' call for Simon and his crew to go out into the deep is a call to venture out into the unknown, the unfamiliar, and perhaps the risky. Oddly enough, though, Simon again listens, and he does as Jesus asks. So they set out to the deep, scary, unknown water, and they drop their nets. Upon doing so, they catch so many fish that their old nets are starting to break. They have to call over their partners in the other boat, James and John, to help. The catch is so great that it's practically sinking both boats. Bible scholars, though, are quick to point out Luke's obvious symbolism. Fish in this time were kind of an overall representation of food. They, They represented nourishment and sustenance. It's a very similar story to the great catch of fish at the end of John's Gospel. And this miracle is a reminder to the church that when we follow Christ, especially when we follow Christ out into the deep, unfamiliar waters, it's a reminder that Jesus is present. And not only is present, but feeds us abundantly, bringing us life itself through this sign of generosity. At this great catch, Peter falls at Jesus' feet and says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Notice, in just a few verses, Peter goes from calling Jesus Master, a name for a rabbi or teacher, to calling him Lord after the great catch. Simon has witnessed the presence of God and responds in turn, Lord. But the rest of Simon's statement is just as important. He says, stay away from me, Lord. I'm too sinful for you to want anything to do with me. Here, Peter joins a long list of people who feel unworthy when called upon by God. Again and again in the Bible, we see God reach out, calling someone, and the person responding with an excuse. What does Moses say when God calls him? I'm slow of speech. What about Jeremiah? I'm too young. Think of even Mary. I'm just a young woman. In our first reading, we heard the call of Isaiah, who had a similar excuse to Peter. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. In other words, I'm a sinner. Jesus here shines forth a God who doesn't shy away from our brokenness. So often in life, we feel like we have to be perfect, that we're not good enough. But when it comes to discipleship, 
We, when it comes to discipleship, we feel like we need to have everything figured out in our own lives, and even in our faith before we can be deemed worthy, before we can do anything to serve as disciples. But friends, here, Jesus shines the light of a God who calls imperfect people, who calls imperfect people to participate in God's redemption of the world. A God who says, you are enough. A God who says, I have called you, just as you are, to follow me. Jesus responds to Simon, telling him not to be afraid, and that from now on, he will be catching people. To me, this is a really important verse, because it describes, uh, it, it, it It's how Jesus describes the role of a disciple in Luke's gospel. This is the first job description of disciple we get in Luke's gospel. Interesting here, in Matthew and Mark's version of the story, Jesus' words here are a pun on their job title of fisherman. He says, you'll no longer fish for fish, now you'll fish for people. Luke uses a different word altogether, though. The word he uses in Greek, zogreo, is a derivation of the word for life. It's translated in our pew Bibles as catching people. But to me, this doesn't do justice to the depth of this word, to the power of this word. Often when this word is used elsewhere in scripture or in uh, other ancient Greek writings, this word is used in the context of rescuing someone or saving someone from harm. So it's catching, but it's catching for the purpose of life. As opposed to fishing, which is catching for the purpose of death. Catching, though, also has an odd connotation. It has a connotation of trickery. Whereas I think this word implies welcome and hospitality. So my own translation of this word is our sermon title today. From now on, you will be bringing life. Now you are called to bring life. You're called to bring people into fullness of life, into the abundance of life. The world and time in which Jesus calls these fishermen is a time of death. People lived in fear. They lived under Roman occupation and persecution. It was a world with little hope. But then this rabbi comes along and brings nourishing life. He not only brings life, But he calls these fishermen to bring life to others in his name. This is a story about bringing life. And friends, as disciples, this is what Jesus calls each of us to do as as his followers. To bring people into the fullness of life. Today in the church, we return to ordinary time. The time that's between festivals in the church year, when the church pyramids go back to green. It's a time for uh, ordinary uh, work in our own lives of faith. This is a time for our own personal growth in our spiritual journeys. And Jesus calls these fishermen to ministry in the midst of their ordinary day-to-day tasks. He calls Peter in light of his brokenness and imperfections. And so in turn, God calls each of us in our brokenness and in our ordinary day-to-day work to be about the business of bringing people to life. 
Typically at this point in the sermon, y'all are used to me sharing a story of someone doing something extraordinary in the work of discipleship, and that's well and good. But I think the bigger point here, friends, is that each of us can participate in the work of discipleship and evangelism, sharing the good news. We can participate in this by bringing others to the fullness of life in our ordinary day-to-day work, tasks, and interactions with others. Friends, we've seen this kind of life-giving, life-sustaining discipleship, and we've participated in it. Last week, as we collected food for the Super Bowl of Caring, we fed neighbors in, in need. Is that not bringing life to others? Recently, we've seen this through the various businesses during the government shutdown who responded by giving out free meals or just simply extended hospitality through acts of grace and love to neighbors in need. I saw a great example of life-giving discipleship this week. It happened at the coffee shop where uh, I tend to do some of my sermon writing. I saw it on the wall next to the coffee counter. There was a tack board that read, Pay It Forward, where you could pay in advance for a coffee drink for a stranger and address the recipient by writing a brief message on the little cardboard uh, sleeve you put on your coffee cup. The recipient would then see the sleeve and claim their free drink. The board I saw was overflowing with these sleeves. And to be honest, I was having a bit of writer's block, so I spent a few minutes reading through them. Some of the sleeves are pretty lighthearted. There's one addressed to a Patriots fan. There's one to a person from Vermont. But as I kept reading, I saw that they were more, at least some of them were a bit more intentional. There's one addressed to a single parent. There were sleeves for active duty service members and first responders, for a person between jobs. And some of them had notes attached. One of my favorites that I saw was one for any high school student with the note below that said, you are so loved. There was one for, uh, there, there were a number that were for survivors of PTSD and other forms of trauma for victims of abuse and depression that had similar notes, all to the tune of, you're not alone, you are loved. I myself decided to participate and wrote one for uh, a person who's caring for an aging parent. I was blown away by the life-giving generosity by complete strangers. It was a small gesture, but one that I think certainly has the power to bring life to others. It was also a reminder to me that we can practice this life-giving discipleship in the ordinary tasks of our lives. And it beckons us to ask ourselves, how can we shine forth Christ's life-giving love in our own lives? What can we do in the next week, the next month, the next year? What can we do in our lives that would shine forth this life-giving love of God? Like Peter, when we experience the presence and call of Christ, we often respond in turn, Go away from me, Lord. I'm sinful. I'm weak. I'm not worthy. And Christ each time responds, Don't be afraid. I have called you by name to bring light, to bring love, to bring others to fullness of life. 
Just as Jesus calls Simon, Peter, James, and John, so Christ calls each of us in our own brokenness to go out into the deep, unfamiliar waters, knowing that Christ is with us and sustains us in our journey of discipleship. Our common calling as disciples is to bring life, to bring fullness, abundance of life, whether it's through feeding the hungry or sharing the stories of Jesus, all of us are called to this work of bringing people into the fullness of life. This, friends, is discipleship. This is evangelism. To spread and share the good news of God's love for us in Christ by bringing light into a world of darkness, hope into a world of fear, love into a world of hate, peace into a world of violence, unity into a world of division, And most importantly, life into a world of death. Friends, may we go as disciples out into the deep. And may we shine this light by bringing people to life. Through the love of God we know fully in Christ Jesus our Lord. May it be so.